0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz Podcast. So this morning, I have the privilege of speaking to you again. And I want to continue on a little bit with what I've talked about in the past. And that is, I want to talk about a time in your life, which I believe we've all had them, where we've come to a point And you can call them defining moments. You can call them the moment of truth. You can call them whatever you want. But the moment that you came in your life where you knew what was right in front of you, you knew it was true, you didn't know how to explain it, but you knew you had a choice to make. And that choice was, was I going to follow what was there? Or was I going to follow what's always been the same? We've all had that moment or we wouldn't be here. We've all had to come to that understanding. We've all had to figure out which way I'm going to go. What's going to happen? How am I going to decide to do it? The people in the Bible, throughout the Bible, they had this choice to make. They came to that point where they said, okay, I see what Jesus is doing. I see what's going on here. I understand who he is. But man, that's tough teaching. I'm not quite so sure if I can go that far. And they had to decide, am I going to follow him, which is uncomfortable, or am I going to keep doing everything I have been doing and and. Keep going along the path that is comfortable. I told you guys um a few weeks ago when I did Senior Sunday that I had that moment, one of the many moments, but I had that moment in my life when I became a full-time pastor. And all my worth ethic, everything that I'd done in the past had taught me you rough or you keep working throughout the day until the roof was dried in so the house didn't get damaged. You didn't have a choice. You had to do it whether it was a three-hour day or a 15-hour day. You couldn't go home until the roof was dried in living in the Northwest. And I came to that moment of truth when I became a pastor that, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, you have to just call it the end of the day. Why? Because there's always gonna be feet to wash. There's always gonna be people to serve. There's always gonna be stuff that happens in life. The, the the pastor's job, the minister's job, the Christian's job never ends. Our job is to keep serving Christ and keep showing others who Christ is. But then you have that thing called your family at home that Christ also says, love and honor your spouse and your children. And Where's that come down? I had the moment of truth, the defining moment of deciding, was I gonna do what felt normal? Or was I actually going to put my family ahead of everybody else the way God had told me to do? In fact, in John chapter 8, 31 through 32, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. They will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, if we just hang out with Christ, if we just hang out with God, and we hold true to his teaching, then we will understand what the truth is, and the truth will set us free, much like I had to do with my defining moment between roofing and being a pastor. We all have them. We all have to figure out which way we're going to go and decide which way we're going to go. But do you know when it really gets difficult to make that choice? It really gets difficult when we can't explain what's going on. What I mean by that, let me put it for you this way. Have you ever tried to explain to somebody Christianity? Have you tried to explain to them how Christ lives in your heart? And I mean not using churchy language. I'm talking about someone who's never heard of Christ. They've never met Christ. They've wanted nothing to do with the church. They just live on their own life. Every experience they've had, with church is by a, quote, Christian who is mean to them or treated them bad. And they say, why are you a Christian? Explain it to me. Explain what your relationship with Christ is. And you explain it and they go, huh? It's hard to explain. But it's also hard to deny that Christ lives in my heart because he does. Now, we can show them by our life, but that usually doesn't happen in a five-minute conversation which is what they really want. They want you to give them proof, they want it done, they want it done now. Uh, that's why we live by faith. Because it's hard to explain it. It's hard to get it so they understand it. It's hard for us to make the choice to follow Christ and to do what we know is right when we can't explain it, when we do not understand the who, what, when, why, and how. We want to know. We want to know now. We want it living in our heart. We want it in our mind because that makes sense. And now I can do this. But when it doesn't, it becomes tough. It becomes hard. It's very difficult for us to do that. The bottom line is we do not have to understand it to know that it happened. And we do not have to understand it to have faith that Christ is alive and well and he lives in us. In John chapter 9 is one of the best stories in the Bible that explains what happened. And and you see it in a couple of the other Gospels, but John, he goes on to explain it more in depth. He goes on to, to give you the ins and outs of what really happened. We're gonna start with John chapter nine, verse one. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now you have to understand that back in these days, when you were born with, born crippled, when you were born blind, when you were born deaf, when you were born with what we would call um, an illness, what we would call a deficiency, it meant to the people there that you sinned sometime. Or that before you were born, Your parents sinned, and this was a punishment. This is something that you brought on yourself. This is something your parents brought on. Either way, something happened, and you or your family were sinners. Verse 3, "'Neither this man nor his parents sinned,' Jesus said." but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Oh, I get it. So he did nothing wrong at all. This is just so we can see your work. This is just so we can see what's really happened. I mean, this this guy was born blind and he's been a beggar sitting in the dirt his whole life, but he did nothing wrong? Yeah, right. Kind of a tough teaching for the 100 disciples that are standing around listening to him, especially when they're saying, so we can see the glory of you? Huh? This isn't about him at all. This is about you. So you can show everybody that you're the light of the world. Who are you kidding, God? Who are you kidding, Jesus? You ain't the light of the world. Rome's the light of the world. They have all power. They have all control. What are you talking about? We know for a fact that you aren't the light of the world. But then Jesus did something. Verse 4. As long as as is his, at it He took him, and the one thing I must admit, the one thing that I never, I shouldn't say never, maybe it is never, I didn't realize until I really dove into this chapter. This guy didn't see Jesus. He didn't see until he left, which is what Jesus told him to do, went and washed his face. Then he saw, Jesus was nowhere around, and that's key to this chapter, but Jesus wasn't there. He never saw what the guy looked like, verse eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, "'Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg?' Some claimed that he was. Others said, "'No, he only looks like him.'" but he himself insisted, I am the man. In other words, this guy goes home to the neighbors, to people who have known him his entire life, the people he's lived next to, he's been blind. They look at him like they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't tell it was really him. They'd be like Eric walking up to me and going, who are you? Because you know what? You're wearing a red shirt instead of a purple one today. I don't know who you are. This guy walks up, he can see, and a conversation ensues. And it sounds like this. That's not him. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. They argued. Why? Because they couldn't believe that this was actually happening. He's blind. He can see now. Can't be him because you know what? He's really blind. Verse 11. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed. And then I could see. In other words, I'm going to put it in the words of a blind man. Who cares? I can see. Why are you asking what happened? Because frankly, I can see you for the first time in my life. And other than the fact you're not very pretty, I don't care. (laughs) Why are you so concerned about that? Verse 12. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Summarizes the entire chapter. Say that with me. I don't know. Furthermore, I don't care, because I can see. That's all that really matters. Verse thirteen. They brought the Pharisees the man. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. They were divided. Why? Well, let me just rephrase what they just said. This man cannot be Jesus. This man cannot be the Messiah. This man cannot be the Son of God, who you're talking about. Because you know what? I know who God is. I know what this Messiah is supposed to be. And he did this on the Sabbath. That's a day of rest. That's not supposed to happen. I, everything I know is taught me that's not supposed to happen. This can't be him. Because you know what? My God, he lives in this little box, and he's shown me what he's supposed to do my entire life. He's never done anything outside that box. And if he does, that means it's really not him. And that makes me uncomfortable. And I can't worship somebody like that. So don't tell me this guy who does this crazy stuff that I can't explain, that I can't understand, that that just seems weird to me. Don't tell me that's Jesus because I know who he is and you don't. Really? Verse 18. As soon as I get there. Or verse 17, sorry. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was yours, your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Now, I got to say, I'm not quite so sure he believed that. I believe that he said he is a prophet because frankly, at the given time, prophets held the highest standing. They were above everybody. Why? Because they could tell you what was going to happen. They could tell you what was coming. They could figure out what was happening in the future. And, and really... I think it might have sounded like this. He's a prophet? Almost to, to saying, in effect, um, leave me alone. Take him as a prophet. If you don't believe he's Jesus, you don't believe he's the Messiah, you don't believe he can really do this, take him as a prophet, because obviously you have prophets higher than you do Jesus in your own mind. You think prophets are the almighty being. Fine, take it as a prophet. I'm not sure. And frankly, again, I don't really care. Verse 19, or 18. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? To which they put, and I will say this, they probably, again, didn't even care how he could see. Because you mothers, I want to put this in perspective. This is the first time their son walked up to them and gave them a hug without saying, where are you? This is the first time, dads, that their son looked them in the eyes and gave them the look of, you're my dad, without having to ask, where are you? They really didn't care. I'm positive of it. Verse 22, his parents said, or, or sorry, verse 21, I stopped short. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He, of his, he is of age. He will speak for himself. 22 says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You've got to understand, before we get on these parents too much about throwing their son under the bus, the one who just got his sight back, before we sit there and say, you know what, I'd stand by my son forever, no matter what, and I'd even give my life up for him, no matter what. You've got to understand that what was happening here, what was at risk was everything these parents ever knew. They were about ready to be set to become social outcasts. They were out about ready to be set as heretics. And if that happened, they were not even able to go into the synagogue. In other words, they wouldn't have been able to be forgiven. They were about ready to lose sight of everything they'd ever known. Kind of change their whole life and turn it upside down. They weren't necessarily throwing their son under the bus. They were just saying, ask him. Because you know what? We don't have an answer for you. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man. This is time number two. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. In other words, you are a sinner. We know you're a sinner because once again, God wouldn't do this. He can't, because I know him. I've told you. We are the high people. We know exactly who God is. We know what he would do, and this isn't something he would do. I've made the choice. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Can we just get over all this, please? because I'm looking at you. Instead of me getting my sight and coming home and you asking me all these stupid questions, why can't we just have a party? Because there's something that happened that we've never seen before in our life, but we are so worried about the who, what, when, why, and how that we can't focus on what Jesus really did or who he really is. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be a disciple too? And they went, what? Now they're mad beyond what they already were. He's like, I have no other answer for you. You must be questioning because you can't see the obvious. You can't figure out what really happened. So you must be questioning because now you want to become one of me and you want to follow him. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, for, uh, but as for this fellow, We don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to the godly man who does his will. He listens to the godly men who stay within the box that we said he stays within, who does exactly what we've always said God was going to do, who follow all of these laws to a T that God says to follow or that we as men make up and say God really says. We know that those men are godly because we are the ones who get to judge whether or not you're godly, not God. He listens to the godly men who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What you're doing makes me feel uncomfortable. How you're worshiping makes me feel uncomfortable. The questions you're asking makes me feel uncomfortable. Your past makes me feel uncomfortable. See ya. Get out of here. Because the God I worship, he doesn't want anything to do with you. And I know you've sinned because I can tell by looking at you. So get. All you had was a man saying, He healed me. They threw him out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now remember, he's never seen him. He's never seen Jesus' actual body. He felt the healing. He heard Jesus there. He's never seen the man. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Don't you need some kind of explanation? Nope. Don't you need me to tell you how I did it? Nope. Don't you want to know what happened, really visibly what happened before I did it to you? Nope. Don't you need to know how when that, the mud went on your face? How? Nope. He believed and he worshiped. That was all he did. Next verse. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now let me ask you this question. How often does that happen? Or how often when something like that happens is your response this. Can you explain to me, God, how this really happened? Because, you know, I'm feeling kind of weird inside. Like I know this is something that happened. I know this is something I'm supposed to be doing. I can see it. It's there. I can't explain it. I don't understand what happened. The who, what, when, why, and how. Can you explain it to me? Or, this isn't from God. Can't be. Because I know him. And he wouldn't do this. If he would do it, he'd at least tell me it was going to happen. And I haven't heard from him, so no, it's not him. Or last, when do you believe it? How long does it take you before you believe it? You know when I doubt Because i got to be honest, there's not anybody in this room that doubts more than me. I doubt when I can't put the picture all together. I doubt when I get so laser-focused on what's happening that I can't see outside of it. I get so laser-focused on the little things, and I'm looking at it small because God looks at it big. I'm looking at it tiny, and I get so laser-focused on the little tiny dots that I can't see the big picture. Kelsey, do you have that picture? Some of you may see it. Some of you may don't. But if you were to close your eyes, stare at this picture without blinking for 30 seconds, and then you close your eyes, you will see Jesus' face. Some of you right now are focused on the little dots in the middle. Some of you are focused on what's going to eventually be the forehead on top. Some of you are going to focus on the mouth, and you're not going to see anything. But if you look at that, And close your eyes. In other words, take a step back from a broader perspective. You're all of a sudden going to see it. And it's going to come to you. Some of you may never see it. And you're going to get mad and you're going to go, Aaron's lying to me. It's not there. I know because I'm one who usually doesn't see them. But when we get so laser focused, does anybody see it? Okay, phew. There you go. When all I look at are the three, four dots in the middle, and I don't try to see the entire thing, I get so confused because all I'm seeing is this little, tiny picture, and I'm not seeing the broader perspective. I don't see it come all the way around to what God really wants. You see, if we take this picture as a whole, If we take the story of the blind man as a whole, if we take everything that goes on in our life as a whole, the way God does, then we're going to see the bigger picture. And we're going to see why he does what he does, even when we don't understand it. And we're going to sit back and we're going to say, you know what? You were right in the end. You know what? When you get outside that box, it's interesting. When you get outside that box, I don't have to understand it. I just need to follow you. Because when I get outside that box, or God, when you go outside that box, I really doubt that you know what you're doing. I doubt at what's happening. I doubt that you're really going down the right path. And it's hard for me because just like the blind man, just like all the people in the blind man, I need to ask three, four, five times, what's happening here? I can't explain it, God. I can't deny it's there, but I really want to explain it. Can you just show me? Because I don't want to deny it, but do you know what's undeniable, guys? 2,000 years ago, there was a man who was born. He walked on this earth for 33 years. He died on the cross. Three days later, he was born again. And we know this because many of his closest friends wrote about it, and it's called the Bible, and we read it every single day. And we see it in people's lives still to this day, and we can't deny what's happening. So we meet together to worship this God. And we serve each other, and we walk out the doors, and we try and tell everybody else who this Christ is. And they say, well, explain it to me. And we go, well, he died on the cross and came back from the dead. And they go, huh? No, you don't understand. There's grace and there's mercy. But explain it to me. Follow Christ and watch. I'll show you who he is. I can't explain it, but you'll know it. It's undeniable. It's gonna become a part of you. You'll see him working no matter what. Because the matter... The fact of the matter is, sometimes it comes down to this great big huge God that we serve, that we get so frustrated because he makes no sense in my mind. He doesn't. Love all people. Really? I tell you to love your enemy. Really? A man born blind? All of a sudden can see? Well, explain if There was a doctor. What? No. Well, how did that... I, I, We read that story a lot and we go, man, how come they just couldn't believe? How come you can't when something happens today? How come you can't when there's a transformation in someone's life? Because what I hear quite a bit, I'm not saying individually, I'm saying what I hear quite a bit from Christians is we'll see how long. We'll see how long until they... Go back. I don't know about you, but there's this Christ that just changed someone's life. Sometimes we need to get excited as opposed to going, how long? How long are they going to really be changed? 1990, I was at a uh, what was then called Rad Days at Northwest Nazarene College. It was a regional event. I'm sitting there with my friend, who those who went to Seattle got to know him, he spoke for us. His name's Todd. I'm sitting there, and Todd, in high school and college, he grew up in the church, but he really wanted nothing to do with God. Um, in fact... He's a pastor today, but I'll tell you this: he got a—he told us he got a message on Facebook a few weeks ago, and the message read, "If you're a pastor, I want nothing to do with the church." It's a person he went to high school with. He said the good part is, like, because we're on Facebook, I went a page and a half on God's grace and mercy and how He transformed my life. But he said, "I." Uh, His words to me were, how do you explain it in a way that they're going to understand my transformation when they don't believe themselves? Now, as we're sitting in chapel at this event, my youth pastor at the time, Tim Westerberg, walked over to Todd and he said to him, I just want to let you know that God's told me he's got something for you. He's got something big for you. I don't know what it is, but he's got it. We laughed it off. Todd, what I thought, ignored it. A couple years later, we go to college. Todd was still Todd. In fact, as later years in college, we actually grew apart from each other because of choices he was making, and I wasn't going to make those choices, and well, Todd graduated from college and he met this gal and they wound up getting married and he wound up going back to church. Within a few years, Todd started feeling the call to ministry. Within a few years after that, he was the youth pastor at Bethel Nazarene and now he's the lead pastor in Redmond Church of the Nazarene in Redmond, Washington. Came down and spoke for us. If you would have told me or anybody who knew him 20 years ago, that he was going to be a pastor, we would have laughed in your face. In fact, what we talk about now, what we hear all the time now is, can you believe what he's doing? But Todd told me when we were up there a few weeks ago, he said, your old youth pastor, Tim Westerberg, who is now in the same district as him as a lead pastor himself, he came up to me one time during chapel, and I remember it after he said it, and he said, God's got something for you. He said, that stuck with me forever. He said, a year and a half ago at a district event, I had the opportunity and the pleasure to go to Tim, and with tears in my eyes, I told him about that time. Tim Westberg doesn't remember it at all. However, that happened, and that played a key role in Todd's life, because Tim Westerberg did something that made no sense. He didn't think it was going to happen, but he knew that he was supposed to go up to this student and tell him what God was telling him to say. Why? Tim couldn't explain it, but he couldn't deny it. And that is the main reason that there's a pastor up in Washington who is feeding the homeless, having them come live on their church property, speaking truth every single Sunday, and there are people being healed in his church and in his community because he's praying for them. I can't explain to you a lot of things that are in that Bible, but my faith in Christ—I can't deny it's there either. I can't deny what's really happening. And you may be struggling this morning with, is this for real? Is this really happening? Because I don't get the who, what, when, why, or how. And I've always lived my life by I have to explain it in order to do it. It's got to make sense in order to do it. Christ is sitting there saying, I'm here. Whether you accept it or not, I'm here. There's a man who was born blind who's going, I don't really care how. I don't even care who. I can see. That's all that matters. And the second he saw him, he said, I will follow you. Without any explanation at all, I am following you. Can you accept the harsh reality that sometimes we're never going to understand how things really work but the reality that there's Jesus Christ my lord and savior i can't deny what he's doing the questions yours and you got to ask yourself father you have shown us some incredible things. You have done the most amazing things, including coming back from the dead. Father, I know we do our hardest to deny some of the things you're doing. I know that we work our best way to to try and make things make sense, and when they don't, we just say, I can't do it, or I can't trust, or it really must not be a God, because you know what? I know who God is, and I know what he's done. And I know how he works. And he's not working this way. So really, it must not be him. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not letting you be you and do what you do. Father, I pray that you will help us, for lack of a better term, Father, to get out of our box and to get into yours. Because yours is so big and so beyond what we can see. Open our hearts to you. Open our eyes to you. Father, help us to be able to see the way this man did. And help us to quit questioning and to start getting to the point that we can't deny it. Because you're you. Father, we love you this morning. And we praise you for your awesome, almighty power. In thy name we pray, amen.